I've got peanut butter on my penis. My name is Matthew Kroll. And you're the new Loomis. My name is Shahir Dow. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> Happy Halloween, Matt. Happy Halloween, Shahir. We are recording this on actual Halloween. Uh, and if you have uh, cool costumes that you're wearing for Halloween, Matt, you have shaved your beard into the into the grossest of mustaches that because is true. Uh, were you and I'm guessing by the burger of the day uh, chalkboard on your disc that you were Bob. I was. I was Bob from Bob's Burgers. Yeah. Uh, it was super fun. I went to a party in Jersey with uh, at, at the Leonard's house, Mike and <laughs> Allie Leonard. So shout out to them. Um, yeah, it was really fun. Actually, tonight the reason why I still have the stash is I'm going to another party, so I wanted to. Uh, I, I need to reshave and get everything done. But it was a pretty simple costume, yeah. and uh, I can kind of do the voice. So. Okay. If it I, is a, it is a strange voice, isn't it? It's I mean, just you got to be uh, really not sure of what you're talking about, and then when you get angry, you kind of have to have a crack again. And <laughs> it's dumb Archer, right? Like it's that's... dumb. Well, it's, it's it's insecure Archer. It's Insecu- not sure of yourself, Archer. Because Archer is very like that's how you get ants, Lana, yeah. and and Bob, Bob is more. Um, <laughs> if I, I mean, if you want to, I, I don't know how you'd get rid of ants if you got the like. It's very, yeah. It's that's um, H. John Benjamin did a thing on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me yeah. uh, a bit ago about the differences, and yeah. it's funny. He read lines, and all it was was just adding like a, a tinge of insecurity yeah. between them. <laughs> I love H. John Benjamin. I love Bob's Burgers. It's such a great show. Yeah, uh, my kid, uh, my son. Uh, uh, insisted on getting a witch costume. Okay. Uh, which is really cool. It was really cute. And then at the last second this morning, literally before we walked out the door, he decided he didn't want to be a witch anymore and put on his dinosaur costume from last year. Okay. So, well, you know, <laughs> he wants to keep you guessing. Yeah. It's just, he's straight up just, he, he he fluffed us over. In in the world of social media, <laughs> I mean, he's been tweeting about being a witch for <laughs> months now. And then he dro- he just, he like dropped the mic, turned up as a dinosaur. Yeah. And yeah. that's how you do it. And uh, he practices dinosaur roars we walked out the door. It was very cute. Nice. Is there? Ho- is, I don't even know what's the schedule in Astoria for trick or treating. Do you know? You, I feel like you should. I mean, there, there are people trick or treat. I don't know if there's a schedule. Well, right? normally, like towns, at least where, where I grew up, like had like okay, trick or treating is officially from four to seven or like whatever it is. Right. Like you can. I mean, obviously, people do it before and I mean, after because but. yeah, because the kids go to sleep early. It's going to be in that time zone yeah. anyway. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing there's probably trick or treating for adults after no. that. Really? Trick or treating for adults? Yeah. What did that happen in New Zealand? No, I don't know. Trick or treating for adults? No. If some, if, <laughs> if you show up at my house in like jeans, a t-shirt, and like uh, literally yeah, I'm just a you still gotta mask. be, you gotta still be in a costume, but right? No, adults don't trick or treat. Oh, don't they? No. Uh, we, I, if, I've, if, I've never trick or treated. I, I until until we came to America and only with my son. Listen, if adults, if it was socially acceptable for adults to trick or treat, yeah. I would a know about it and b be right out there. But would it, it be is, an alcoholic trick or treat, like alcohol trick or treat? No, because <laughs> candy is cheap. <laughs> liquor, right. uh, well, not all liquor, yeah. is expensive. Um, no, I, I there is not adult. <laughs> That's so funny you thought that. I don't know. I, I've never trick-or-treated. Uh, well, I, well I, I hope you have fun today later. And if you are a listener who has trick-or-treated in the most awesome of film-related costumes, please email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up uh, with those with those dope-ass photos on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Um, Shahir is going as a millennial. Yeah, I'm going as a millennial. <laughs> dope, dope-ass photos. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for those Alka Pops uh, uh, for, for, my, for my adult trick-or-treating. That's what I'm doing. Uh, 
Um, but uh, I'm guessing some of you may be wearing a William Shatner mask painted white, which is why we're here today to talk about Halloween. Yes. Uh, a, a, a sort of what's the what's the word now? It's not a pre, it's not a it's a requel. I a think requel. It's the, a requel. Sounds like a off bread of Nyquil. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 basically uh, uh, a film that ignores all the previous sequels and makes its own sequel based off the original. Yes. So 2018's Halloween, which has the same title as the 1978 film Halloween by yep. John Carpenter, yep, yep. is essentially reconfiguring the entire franchise, which is made up of no less than 10 movies at this point, uh, and, and approximately five reboots uh, into... Uh, a new sequel for the original film, uh, bringing back Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode, and and completely dismissing, ignoring all of the entire mythology of the previous Halloween films. Matt, uh, you're a big fan of John Carpenter. Uh, I am. You've mentioned uh, Escape from L.A. and uh, Big Trouble in Little China a lot. You haven't mentioned Halloween a lot to me. How do you feel about Halloween? So Halloween, uh, I came to later than those other films, weirdly enough. Um, and I had only seen it really a couple times as a younger person. And then just recently, uh, Jamie and I watched it uh, mm-hmm. the other night, maybe like a week and a half ago. Yeah. Um, I, 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 John Carpenter, especially in a, sort of this time period of his work, is yeah. an incredible slow burn. Yeah. Which I think does work. For, and, and, and I think it's, it's good that it, it existed because it helped sort of define the genre. Although technically, I think Black Christmas came out a couple years earlier, which also mm-hmm. kind of. But like the the slasher slasher, I guess. Yeah. Um, though, though watching it now, it's, it's weird. It falls into that category of like, I super respect it and I love what it did for the genre of horror, but, uh, it's, it's, it's a slow, it's a slow movie. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't, uh, at least these days and maybe it's cause it's just, you know what it is. Escape from New York probably still holds up for me as a as a favorite, despite its sort of like age problem, mm-hmm. uh, because there haven't been other films I feel like that have sort of like taken that genre or the 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 movie magic that that film does and run with it. Yeah, uh, I feel like everyone saw Halloween and it was just like now we all make these movies and yeah. it's like the formula. If if it's if the formula started with that or Black Christmas and it went for forty years and then I feel like the formula kind of ended with Cabin in the Woods, <laughs> right? Like, like or Scream. Uh, no, well, no Scream. You know what's interesting about Scream versus yeah. Cabin in the Woods? Scream dissects a horror movie while still being a horror movie, but. Cabin in the Woods dissects why we watch horror movies, yeah. which is a different, like, it's the next level. It's the metaverse outside of that. So, like, maybe, like, Scream is, like, the midpoint, like, the, yeah. the 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 twist, if yeah. you will, and then it moves from there. Uh, Halloween itself, uh, 1978 version. Yeah. Really good. Uh, I just, I, I don't know. I, I was never, I was never, even weirdly enough, despite my my gothy roots, which I guess this makes a little sense. I was never a huge horror person. Like I like it, yeah. But I, I've never been the one of my friends to like hunt down like obscure horror films and and know a lot of like have that sort of knowledge base about it. I have a few. Matthew Marchetti, who does um, um, uh, what's it called? Movie matinee, I believe, is uh his Instagram handle, and he does. He's worked on Steve's uh uh. <laughs> Uh, same night movie review and all that stuff he does god he is a horror king if you want to know about horror check out his stuff uh you can just google matt marchetti he is he's phenomenal and he knows literally everything that i do not so i i (laughs) i um i have limited i have limited 
knowledge base of of Halloween and whatnot. I just I never I never gravitated towards it. What about you? You didn't go trick or treating. No, I didn't go trick or treating. Um, I uh, I I think I can, as far as those movies uh, went, I was more into Friday the Thirteenth, but I think it was more just an access thing um, where like I taped a copy of Friday the Thirteenth off off TV and I watched it and it right. scared the hell out of me, um, and that was kind of enough that and Child's Play. Um, so I didn't watch Halloween until much, much later, and I loved it. I thought Halloween was elegant, uh, quiet, and and disturbing in ways that I think were um, really unexpected for what I thought that film was going to be like. And when I watched it, I realized how quick, how very quickly that. Friday the Thirteenth was a very subpar version of Halloween. Mm. Um, Halloween was very was a much more elevated film than Halloween uh, than than Friday the Thirteenth was for me. And I uh, it's fu- it's funny because I watched Big Trouble in Little China recently, and I and I watched The Fog again recently as mm. well. And I was kind of thinking about John Carpenter in that period. Obviously, a very successful filmmaker, um, sort of in a weird way, deserves to be mentioned in the pantheon of great filmmakers, but somehow doesn't. You know, like he doesn't get remembered in the same way as as so many others of that period and you know he came out of the same school as like francis ford coppola steven spielberg um but but really does deserve to be and i think and for me looking back at those movies halloween is the upper echelon of what he does Hmm. um it's it's odd because it's kind of one of the lower budget films that he made you know it was like uh it came out right after the heels of assault on precinct 13 yeah um, made for a budget of three hundred twenty-five thousand, but all of those restrictions make it like this elegant little piece that is beautiful and disturbing in ways. And this is no denying that score, you know, like like that score and 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 the way he because because the story is simple and ridiculous, you know, like it's simple enough and silly. But that opening sequence with the with the the POV shot mm-hmm. and the reveal that Michael Myers is like a six year old boy, yeah, is really truly disturbing. Yeah, uh, the thing, two things. One, I've seen John Carpenter and his son and their band in concert. It's yeah. uh, it's amazing. Uh, their albums, Lost Themes One and Two, are awesome. You should check those out on Spotify. Um, but two, John Carpenter, I think more than this is the weird thing. I think. His craft and his skill and why he should sort of be brought up when when talking about great directors might not be uh, technical acumen or or you know scene blocking or any you know stuff like that or even even um, working with actors uh, to get the most amazing performances. What I think John Carpenter does and did for a long time in his career was tap into the sort of uh, current cultural zeitgeist of what of of whatever his film is sort of pointing at, he gives you an ulterior look or a counterculture to it. So, for instance, the reason why Halloween is scary mm. is because it's literally just a, a, a murderer, if that makes sort of sense. Now, you could there there is some argument to be uh to be had about sort of using mental illness as a as a thing to like basically like it, this also kind of probably uh, helped perpetuate the idea that like oh people you know that are mentally ill or violent and you know mm-hmm. that sort of things like which is not true it's in fact i think the statistics are like it's far more likely to for people with mental illness to be victims of violence as opposed to be the perpetrators of violence but um it, it, the reason halloween is scary is because it, there's no nothing supernatural there's nothing whatever this is just a person that wants to kill and goes around uh doing so 
in at, at first very sort of like generic yet horrible ways and then it starts getting weird and a little bit hokey uh but still fitting with the character like when michael <laughs> puts on the ghost thing and the sunglasses oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's always an iconic thing but like at first you're like this is stupid then you're like wait if he's still like kind of is in the sort of headspace of a six-year-old boy who killed his first person while wearing a halloween costume this kind of fits well it's also it's also strange that uh, michael can drive you know, like he's been in prison oh, his yeah. entire life, but he spends the whole first half of the movie driving around. Although in this one, he does crash the cars that he is in. Right. Which, it, I, which it, I like. It's just odd that he drives. Yeah. You know, like it's like, oh, wait, what have you been I know? bet you you could pick it up. Like real quick? Yeah. No, no, I'm not saying you're going to be uh, following all the rules of the road. I'm saying you can probably get from point A to point B. Go if find never. a first uh, uh, first time drive, a driver's aid teacher and, and ask him if a person who's been in prison for 40 years could drive immediately. I, I'm not, again, I'm not saying he's going to stop at stoplights or make the turns correctly. I'm saying he's going to gun it, go a direction, and maybe crash into where he's going, which, is, which they kind of do in this new one. So one thing, uh, this is going to be the worst segue ever because it's the worst segue of something that I forgot to do at the beginning, but I wanted to read out some emails from our listeners, which I completely bypassed them doing. We could have we could have done that. Wait, let's see. So we were talking about driving. Hold on. Driving. Yeah, uh, driving so, Miss Daisy. So no, no. Yeah. If, if so, so even though, you know, Michael Myers supposedly can't drive, we can't even drive the direction of our own podcast because we were supposed to do emails before we got into all this stuff. Ah, yeah, we're driving like Mike Myers now, you know, like all over the road, turning at stop signs. Uh, I just wanted to shout out a couple of emails we got this week. Thank you, everyone who emailed us at Only Movie Podcast. Yes. Uh, first email, uh, Matt, this one's for you. Uh, Ooh, on, on my special day? On your special Halloween day. Uh uh, this is from Kartik uh, in France. He's a oh. friend of mine. I met him. He's a lovely person. He, uh, I went to a film festival in France and met him there uh, in Clermont-Ferrand many years ago. Uh, we hit it off. Uh, kept in touch ever since. He's a fantastic filmmaker um, and uh, avid listener of the show. Oh, hi, Kartik. Uh, and he wants to say thanks so much for the podcast and reviewing my and for reviewing my favorite film of 2018, Deborah Granick's Leave No Trace. Ah. I was surprised by Matt's cold reception of the film <laughs> oh, no. and wanted to address this. And also invite Matt to give the film another chance. Um, seven powerful words are spoken and leave no trace, first by the father and then by the daughter. We can still think our own thoughts. When in all of human history has such a notion been more relevant? These characters decide to live differently. Unlike most of us, they are not addicted to screen. Dad doesn't want a phone. And when his daughter does, he reminds her that they never needed that to communicate. Uh, Matt, you had a big problem with how easy things were for the characters. Uh, you felt that they were met uh, with too much kindness, convenience, and ease, or as he put it, they kept running into super altruistic people. And indeed, when the father is lying, um, this is a spoiler for the movie. By oh the yeah, way, hey, you know. spoilers for Leave No Trace. Jump five minutes. If hey, actually, you know what? I'm going to cut out that spoiler. Yeah, Sorry, cut Kartik. it out. Stick around. Uh, um, I guess what what Kartik is saying is the altruism is kind of what the movie is all about. It opens the door to a viable and sustainable alternative, a place off the grid where people don't just survive, they thrive. No one is wet, hungry, or cold. uh, And uh, in this place, they're surrounded by like-minded people, sheltered from the ills of society, and people can think their own thoughts. Uh, Kartik, thank you. I I had to abbreviate that email, and I kind of uh, fluffed it at the end there, but thank you so much for that very, very thoughtful email uh, about Leave No Trace. Uh, Matt, do you want to respond? to sure. that, uh, that, that comment. I would be happy to watch that film again um, because I think it was a well-made film mm-hmm. um, and it probably has things, in fact, I can guarantee it has things that I didn't sort of pick up on the first time. I think what I was mentioning um, 
about the sort of like conveniences that these characters keep running into. It's it's not that I wouldn't want people in their situation to be able to think their own not think their own thoughts and also uh, you know live however they'd want to live. It's just that the way the movie it for me presented itself, um, like the the. How do I paint it? The the hardships that and the of the, these characters we are assuming have a, a ton of hardships just based on what we can glean from the way that they live. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, the only real hardships we see initial like really initially from uh, to both characters on screen is when they are taken away from living in the woods. And then, of course, then there's the injury and a couple other things here or there. But then, like, every – it seemed like with every hardship came a brand new uh, answer. And, and it's again, it's not that I wouldn't want this stuff to happen for these characters. It's that I think the film or the script really kind of puts it uh, – presents it in a sense where by the th- second or third time this sort of happens, I'm not even worried at all. Like I, I'm like, oh, they're going to be fine because everything sort of works out here. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't get that a lot in even in, in in a lot of films. So I'm wondering what the structure was that sort of got me in that headspace. Again, I'll have to rewatch it. Yeah. And thank you, Kartek, for bringing it up uh, because uh, I, I would 100% rewatch and see if I feel the same way. But I uh, I, I think it was more of a scripting problem for me than than an actual like like. You know, oh, oh, and, oh to, to talk to his point about like that sort of what the film is about, like it's sort of like how people can, how it can work out and whatnot. <clears throat> Again, I think that's a beautiful message, mm-hmm. but I think if the the power of your thing of your film is coming from like overcoming the hardship and then finding your place, if the if the journey to do that is met with so many like. Bad, okay, bad, okay, bad, okay, bad, okay. That I'm, I'm a little bit like by the, by the end of it, I think it doesn't hit as hard as if, um, as if it didn't have so many like so many small ups and downs. I guess I don't know. I need to rewatch it. I'm sorry if I'm not being clear. Um, but that, that's I still, I still stand by what I said at least for now. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna jump in on this one. I, I kind of, uh, I guess I agreed with Kartik in that. Uh, it, not so much that I disagree with you. It's just that I, I didn't have an issue. Yeah. With, with uh, the way the story panned out, I thought it was a lovely film. Um, but you can go back and listen to that episode, uh, Leave No Trace, uh, on our pod, on our feed, which is a, a, a very interesting film. I think it will end up very highly on my top ten of the year. Um, moving on to... I got uh, this one. Yep, there you go. This is from Zachary, who wrote in, and we talked about his first email in our First Man uh, podcast a bit ago. He jumped the gun and got a question to us before we reviewed the film. We always appreciate that. Yes, thank you, Zachary. And he originally asked asked, uh, how do you create suspense when everybody in the audience already knows the ending, which is a great question. Uh, and we discussed that a little bit on the on our, our first man show. You can go check that out uh, before or after this. But Zachary replies again saying, thank you so much for your discussion of my question on the podcast. You are very welcome, sir. He, re- he goes on to say, I think the idea of a film being so well made that I feel like I am in the person's shoes is what makes me experience what they are going through. I get what Matt was saying, and I guess I did feel more anxiety in Neil's missions than I did not knowing compared to the Apollo 11 mission, but he loved the term the suture effect, and he says it matches it perfectly. He says, oh, now it's just all nice stuff. He says, I love this podcast and allows me to really think about movies more than I ever did, which has in turn allowed me to enjoy films even more. Also, he says,
says, my brother has an obscure film Twitter that we might be interested in. Uh, yes, I am. Uh, where he reviews obscure, bizarre, and overlooked films, and he thinks we would dig it. He is on Twitter is as Film Qualia. That's yep. F-I-L-M-Q-U-A-L. I A. Uh, it's a great Twitter handle, by the way. Um, and uh, I have subscribed. Uh, the any any uh, film Twitter that points out the brothers Quay and uh, Spalding Gray in the same uh, in the same batch is a, is a, I'm always a fan of. Uh, so thank you very much for that email, Zach. Very appreciative. Thanks, and, Zach. Uh, and I uh, hope people join uh, 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 subscribe to Film Qualia on Twitter. Uh, final email coming up from Simon, who's written us before. Uh, he listened to the first man discussion. He had no strong feelings about whether the moon landing was faked or not, except <laughs> it was real. I have no reason not to, but feel it was very plausible that it could have been faked. For some reason, we went down the rabbit hole of flat earthers and, and faked moon landings. How can you not? Uh, he, he thinks it could be a fascinating topic. Uh, on a side note, he jumps onto a discussion of Christopher Nolan. Oh. Um, and I wanted to say, uh, Simon, we did do a sort of in-depth discussion of Christopher Nolan in our Dunkirk review uh, with a fantastic guest Ivan Kander from Short of the Week. Um, you can listen to that review and we also did, for some reason, I think everyone does this with Christopher Nolan films, we did a top 10 of Christopher Nolan films. Um, uh, we can recap ours. Really, I'll just do, we'll just do the top, top three of three, ours. Yeah. But uh, I just wanted to read out uh, Simon's top 10 uh, which kind of clashes with uh, with mine, at least. Uh, number 10 was Following, 9, Insomnia, 8, Interstellar, 7, The Dark Knight Rises, 6, Dunkirk, <laughs> 5, Memento, 4, The Dark Knight, and then here's the top three, The Prestige, Inception, and Batman Begins. Um, oh, that's pretty close to mine. I think it's pretty close to yours. It's the exact opposite of mine, <laughs> uh, which is that so, uh, my top three were The Prestige, Following, and Memento. Uh, again, horses for courses. Everyone's uh, in, entitled to the different thing. I, 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 I think Batman Begins is, is Christopher Nolan's worst movie, but I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think it's the worst of that tin. Uh, Matt, it's I your number I think it's his best movie, followed by The Dark Knight, followed by The Prestige. So Well, there you go. Listen. Uh, Everyone can love Christopher Nolan in their own way. Exactly. Simon, thank you for that email. Thank Again, you, Simon. Uh, uh, for everyone listening, if you want to know our Christopher Nolan rankings, uh, check out our Dunkirk uh, review, uh, which uh, has all your Christopher Nolan needs backwards, reversed, and in uh, non chronological order, if you like, with and, a dead wife who's motivating the hero. And it's literally going to have all of the barbershop pole tones to keep you on edge the entire hour and some. Change. The barbershop tone? I forget the name of the thing, but you it's the call thing it that... the robot farts, right? No, no, no. Robot farts are different. Robot yeah. farts are from Transformers trailers where it's like, yes, and Inception. <laughs> but I'm talking about the stuff he's increasingly used since The Dark Knight. That tone we talked about it. <laughs> it's that tone that it 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 it's the audio equivalent of the illusion of a barbershop pole. Oh, the escalating tone. The escalating tone that yeah. it just runs, but it, your brain makes you. It makes you feel like it's a constantly escalating tone, which makes you increasingly on edge and nowhere. Has he used it more than in Dun in, in Dunkirk? I rewatched Dunkirk again. And I still I still snap, stand by my number eight on that one. Um, uh, yes, but moving now, diverting the car, the truck, the car driven by the I was going to say slashing through all the other nonsense yeah, we're talking about, driving back into our Halloween review. Uh, it is now the fifth reboot of the Halloween franchise. Now there is Jesus. so much mythology around Michael Myers. Now there have been druids. Uh, satanic rituals, the idea that there is some incest involved in the Myers family and Laurie Strode and Michael Myers, our brother and sister, which they kind of easily dismiss at the top of this movie. Um, but 
you know, and the film, the, the interesting thing with the Halloween franchise is the rights have passed around so much from Compass International pitches with Irwin Yablins, who, who initiated the project with John Carpenter, all the way through to Dimension, which is uh, a subsidiary of Miramax. And I think that was the kind of scariest part of the movie, of the new 2018 film, was seeing Miramax logo uh, up on top, uh, up on the front of the screen <laughs> at the very beginning, realizing that Miramax is still an entity and still alive, um, uh, you know, and and now eventually landing in the Blumhouse, uh, yep. in the Blumhouse world. Blumhouse, of course, is the power producer of horror movies in the last uh, you know five years. You know, producing the Conjuring franchise, the um, Get Out, obviously its first Oscar push. Yep. Um, and and then landing in the hands of maybe the most unlikeliest of pairings. David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. Yeah, um, you know the 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 vice principals and the Eastbound and Down team. Now, uh, you know Danny McBride. I think is easy to pigeon. Well, pigeonhole is the wrong word, but he's easy to categorize because of the type of comedy he does. It doesn't quite make sense that he would write the Halloween movie, but his association with David Gordon Green makes that a little bit more makes a little bit more sense in my mind. If anyone has been doing the kind of Soderberghian uh, uh, transposing of one's um, career into all sorts of different genres, it's David Gordon Green. Now, I am a huge fan of David Gordon Green. His first film, uh, George Washington, was a major influence on me in my life. Uh, it, 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 you know, my first film is based off George Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I was kind of, you know, like his first three films, I think it was maybe his first four films, George Washington, All the Real Girls, Undertow, and Snow Angels are this kind of like melodic Terrence Malick style, you know, like Southern poetic uh, Texas kind of... Uh, uh, melodies that that you know that are, that almost defy kind of narrative convention. Then he jumps right over into Pineapple Express and yeah, The Sitter yeah, yeah. and 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 movies like that. Now he's kind of he's kind of done a sort of a late game, and he's quite, he's quite young though. Um, almost a, a late game change where he's doing sort of slightly more prestige films now. Um, his his last film, his last couple of films was Our Brand is Crisis, Manglehorn with Al Pacino, and. Um, uh, ooh, uh, and stronger with uh, ah. Jake Gyllenhaal. Yep. And now taking all of that, that kind of prestige work that he's been doing, and jumping over into a remake of a horror movie uh, that was quite influential. Now, again, I don't. I think David Gordon Green is more than capable of doing this. He's demonstrated throughout his entire career that he can jump from genre to genre pretty easily. Uh, but but that was kind of a like having Danny McBride uh, involved in the Halloween writing. That was kind of a surprise to me. How? I mean, how did you feel about this team coming to to do the Halloween film? I mean, fine. <laughs> I, I think uh, this is the thing. If John Carpenter is involved in any way, and I know yeah. he was a uh, consultant or an uh, he did the executive score, producer, executive producer, yeah, um, I, I'm okay with it. I think what 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 might have, and I I don't know whose influence this was, but something that when we'll get into a little as the film goes on, but something that. Uh, kind of irked me a little bit was a lot of the times um, the the humor in it felt a little out of place mm-hmm. and 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 kind of took away from a little bit of the scariness of it. I'll I'll talk about what how I think it scares uh, try to work uh, later, but. There was a tone, like the line I said in the beginning. There's peanut butter on my penis. Like, like that's funny, and like that dad character. There's literally like no other character like that character. There's a lot of sort of disparate character work going on uh, in this film. Uh, 
that like it has it makes it a hard time for me to feel like it's a cohesive world. Yeah. Um, you go from what the, the type of people that the podcasters are to the type of person that Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie, Laurie Strode has become to the way uh, that the the her daughter and her daughter's husband, the man we're talking about with peanut butter on his dick. Yeah. Um, that felt like a real uh, redub line. To yeah, me. you were saying that, and I can totally see that because yeah. like, he's, he's, he's off camera when he says that. He's off camera, and he also never repeats the line when he talks about peanut butter yeah. again. And again, that's not saying that any of these characters are not likable. It's just that they're all they all feel very disparate from one another and it it had gave me sort of a bit of a hard time connecting them all in the same world. Yeah. And uh so I don't know if that comes from like a mishmash of of the writing staff or whatever. Um when I, when I heard about who was creating this though, I was like, okay, yeah, like let's I Danny I McBride? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, I like a lot of Danny McBride's work. Um yeah. I think it's a matter of but like it's funny now that you bring up Pineapple Express again, I'm getting a little bit of like I'm getting a little bit of that sort of like uh, this is weird, but like that vibe when it came to the humor in here, mm-hmm. um, which when I think about Halloween, that's it not... doesn't it doesn't quite mesh exactly. Yeah. Um, well, what does IMDb think this movie is about? Let's talk about <laughs> what the what the full blown structure in a sentence or less. Laurie Strode confronts her longtime foe Michael Myers, the masked figure who has haunted her since she narrowly escaped his killing spree on Halloween night four decades ago. There you go. So again, re dismissing all of the mythology of all the previous films. Side note, this isn't even the first time Jamie Lee Curtis has come back. Yeah, I know. Halloween Hall- Halloween H two O. What are what are we? Yeah, I think well did that come out what? That came out in twenty two, yeah, twenty two, years uh, after yeah. nineteen yeah, so two thousand and eight. Uh which that's a silly as fuck movie. Uh, well, it's not as silly as Halloween Resurrection. Have you seen that? No. Halloween I'm, Resurrection basically takes, you know, cuz Halloween H2O is not that bad. It's not that good. It it's it's of its time. It's it's basically it's basically the best sequel, you know, around that period uh, of all the Halloween movies. But it Halloween Resurrection then takes what was done in H2O, negates it all and then turns it into a Blair Witch movie huh. with with Buster Rhymes doing kung fu against Michael Myers. Great. You know what I mean? Like that that's where things get really, really ridiculous yeah. for me. Um so look, I, I am not upset that uh that this is a, a requel. Um that well, they've gone back to the beginning to try to tell a different story. I mean, look, at this point, Jason has gone to space, right? And he's fought Freddy. Freddy versus Jason <laughs> is my favorite schlocky movie. There you go. Uh, uh it's the dumbest shit. Leather- but it's supposed to be dumb. Yeah, Leatherface has been rebooted. Friday the Thirteenth has been rebooted, um, and and uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street has been rebooted. So, but it, it, there's something about Michael Myers which is entirely different to those other characters. Which is that I think with those other characters, at some point they acknowledged that you know this is you know like Freddy became became kind of the protagonist of his movies, and he became the guy you kind of enjoyed hanging out with in a, as the movie character. To a point. Yeah, you know, and then you always kind of were on Jason's side a little bit, you know, like... Well, Jason was technically wrong. That doesn't make it (laughs) okay for him to murder a ton of people, but But Michael Myers was always a little too serious to, like, have fun with, and I don't think any movies ever really had fun with him, right? Like, like they've never taken him to space. They've never... They've always just tried to explain, because he is... 
terrifying. Well, he's supposed to be the, the whole idea that even has been throughout all of the Halloweens that I remember is like that he is like evil incarnate. Like yeah, he is pure the most evil. evil, the pure. But I never liked that that angle of it because at the end of the day, he's a he's an ill kid that is stuck in his sort of like in this weird like loop of when he he murdered people. Have you heard the story of how uh, Carpenter came up with the character? No, because Carpenter lived in uh, I think. Waldo, I can't remember the name of the town, but mm. he lived in a log cabin or something, and he would go to scary movies all the time. There's a fantastic podcast out right now called uh, Halloween Unmasked with uh, Amy Nicholson discussing the whole history of Halloween franchise. And and Carpenter, at some point, as part of a school trip, went to an insane asylum or, a, or something like that, and he saw a kid. He said a young kid who was like 14 years old, and he said it was the most frightening thing he'd ever seen because this kid just had a look of hate and wanted to, and looked like he wanted to kill John Carpenter. Mm. And he said it was just the most disturbing thing he'd ever seen. And he also, I think in that podcast, they describe how like uh, the, the sort of redneck hillbilly country, um, you know, pre, you know, still still living through segregation and not willing to accept it. And he, you know, he was kind of a progressive liberal and, and seeing people treating other people with pure venom and hate, uh, you know, particularly when it came to race, uh, was enough to influence him to the idea that there was pure evil in the world. Like he was, and he, he even said like, there were some people that he liked, you know, like, you know, people that he knew and yeah. liked. Uh, I think he had a girlfriend's grandma, a grandfather who like ran over uh, an African American gentleman. Jesus, just just on the basis of him crossing the street, and he was like, I kind of like that dude, but it realized he was pure evil, uh, and that was like his notion of like there was pure, there is pure evil in the world, uh, and that it can exist that way. And I think that's that that feeds into this Mike Myers thing. Well, that that tenement, that tenement, that tenant sort of. Um is is I, I let's let's get into the actual film itself a little bit more that that is where this movie first faltered for me right uh first first of all i actually did have a really fun time watching this movie okay. um but i'll tell a story about the end of the movie once we get there okay um but the idea that this movie kind of posits after it's done telling you that the rest of the movies didn't happen, it even goes like, isn't it? Aren't they related? Like the kids are talking in the street and they're like, no, da 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 da. And then they even this movie, this movie goes so far to say that its plot doesn't matter. Like it, it the current movies plot doesn't matter. Well, that, that like that like the the. They're like, oh, well, like, doesn't the kids are talking, walking down the street, and they're like, well, it doesn't seem like a guy killing five people with a knife is that big of a deal in this day and age. Yeah. And you're like. Oh yeah. yeah. And like part of me is like I guess that lets me have fun with this and the other part is you literally just cut off your movie at the knees. Like No, I I th but I don't I don't think that's what they're saying. They're saying that that the times have moved it was 40 years ago and much worse things have happened. Right. You know, and, and Right. Exactly. And so the idea that this mythology persists, you know, right. doesn't but it, I don't think that's cutting off what's happening in this movie. That's just saying that's acknowledging where we are in the world, right? Sure, but it but like for instance, nothing <laughs> The, the same thing's going to happen in this movie. Right. But they're saying that the thing that they're saying is like passe at this point. They're saying it's it's such old news and and and, and the world has the, the evil of the world has evolved since Michael Myers. Right, yeah. I, I and think so now we're going to watch Michael Myers 
do the same shit that they just said doesn't matter. No, no, I, I don't. I don't think that's what they're saying. I think what they're saying is that there is more evil in the world, right? So, so you know, like nine eleven has yeah, happened. Yeah. Yep. You know, like the lots of terrible things have happened in the world. But I think then what happens is we do still see that Mike My Michael Myers is evil. Yes, in of this course. Film. But what I'm saying is, and I'm not saying mm. the characters are doing are cutting out their own thing. I'm saying the movie by having the characters say these lines yeah. is basically saying that the at the end of the day, no matter what happens in the Michael Myers verse of this thing, it's not that big of a deal. And now, now hold on. That could be. I'm, I'm now, I kind of took it as a bad thing. Yeah. I'm going to flip it. I'm going to yeah. turn a frown upside down and say that can also be a good thing because what is a horror movie? Right. What are we? What are we there for? We're not there to watch like actual moments of pure dread and terror that make us question our own humanity and whatever. We're there to watch something that gets our blood pumping a little bit, heightens us, maybe gives us a laugh here or there, and we can walk out of the theater sort of in a better mood, even though we've watched people be murdered. Murdered. That's a weird psychological thing there. Yeah. But the, the, we're not there to actually experience fucking evil. We're there to experience kind of whatever the uh, the lesser evil's equivalent of like jump scares is. Right. So, so in a way, it actually could be setting us up to be okay and just sort of go along with this ride because just knowing that there are far worse things than what you're about to see, and this is going to be a little bit of a respite from that. Right, right. I, I yeah, I, I don't think it like undermines the movie. I think it's just, I, to me, that's kind of more that sort of Danny McBride, maybe, um, maybe yeah. David Gordon Green, just acknowledging that the Halloween franchise is from 1978, and now we're in 2018, and there's like a, just a difference of of. You know, like in the original movie, he kills five people. Yeah. You know, and there have been worse things than that since then. Um, but but I think the, the thing that was interesting for me watching the film this time around was something that I kind of had talked about. I can't remember in which film, but I kind of I was thinking about it in terms of uh, and I'm not sure if this is the right phrase for it, but the morality clause of horror films. And so it, my my conception of the morality clause is this, is that. Victims of the killer have a reason to die in most horror films. They're either they're either faceless, which means we don't need to care, or they have some sort of reason to die, some sort of either hubris or there's some sort of action which makes them uh, viable for sure. death. Now, in, in classic horror films, you know, the final girl is always a virgin, which is why she doesn't die, and, uh, and people who aren't virgins die. Because sex that, is bad. Sex is bad, that's right. Um and I think it was like the most notable example of this where I was like, oh, the morality clause for me in this movie has been broken is in Jurassic World. When oh, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the secretary gets killed in the most brutal way, and she's just trying to be a nice person the entire movie. Well, no, she she I, I agree with you. Yeah. But she's not she she's not a nice person. She's kind of a negligent person that doesn't want to be doing her job, but that doesn't mean she yeah, should she be, mean she, that doesn't mean she should be torn apart by a giant fucking dinosaur. And, and that leads into this idea that that like movie monsters have some kind of interpersonal relationship with the morality of the audience. The movie monster is kind of a cipher for the way we, f the audience can feel about characters. You know, like we're okay with certain characters being killed because we have a relationship to to our feelings of morality with them. Okay, and occasionally, like films can break that. Yep. You know, like Psycho is the is the great example of that, where the heroine of the film, mm -hmm. played by Janet Lee, obviously Jamie Lee Curtis's mother, yep. um, you know, breaks the the film purposely breaks that contract. But but there's a there's this couple of scenes in this film. I think they they sort of Michael Myers kills faceless victims pretty 
pretty easily and and, and like of, single shots in single shots you know like in the background of scenes which is kind of fun the podcast is you know kind of fuck the podcast yeah, yeah, yeah i won't get back to them yeah but but you know uh spoiler alert here the podcast is meet their demise in sort of grisly fashion good and we're yeah exactly we're okay with it because we've seen them be dicks you yeah. know like we're kind of like yeah yeah they can they can go and we know that michael myers won't well, we think Michael Myers won't kill anyone that doesn't deserve it, but he does. Yeah, of course and, there's he does. A, and there's a couple of scenes where I it doesn't it doesn't throw the movie for me, but there's a scene where he kills a child. Yeah, there's a scene where he murders a he straight like up an eight year old kid. He, he straight up murders an eight year old child. There's a very disturbing scene where he walks past. It, it doesn't quite happen, but he walks past a baby with the knife. Yep. And we're kind of like, and, and I think you know, it's a it's a very good scene because it keeps us on the edge of our seat. And it's like, how evil is Michael Myers? Because he's just killed the mother who hasn't. And and, and this is the thing. There's that that sort of killing spree in the middle where he's killing like mothers at home. Who are like with their children, or or like you know, like not doing the Halloween thing. Yeah, and and you're like, oh wait, what is the the parameters of this movie? It's not like so Jaws or yeah. anything like that. So you know? interesting thing. I'm glad you brought this up. Jamie and I had a large debate about the baby scene. Yeah, I said because to be honest, I let, let me straight up say I did not find this movie scary. No, neither did I. Um, but I don't know if that's honestly the point. I mean, I think it's supposed to be different strokes for different folks and that sort of thing. Like some of some things people get scared by jump scares, some people get scared by tone, some people whatever. The only moment of actual like existential dread I had in this film was when he walked towards the crib. Yeah. And 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 my argument now I'll try to get Jamie's argument as best I can afterward. My argument is like as he's walking you're like, "Oh fuck, really? No. No, yeah. no, 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 no." And then he walks by and you're like, "Whoa." whoa. Yeah. That is a that is a masterful horror movie thing because it gets you, you. We know a Michael is a killer. He's just brutally murdered this child's mother in the other room with a hammer. Yeah, uh, and then he walks by. You know, he's going towards possibly his next victim on this spree. It could be a baby. Oh my god, it's going to be the baby. Thank God, it's not the baby. It's that catch and release. It's that tension building moment that really that all great horror. I feel like. Uh, strives for because it got me to that point without showing me that particular moment of violence and yeah. that is uh i think is was a masterwork of this particular movie yeah i agree with that now yeah. jamie and i i don't want to i i don't want i don't want to malign sort of the way that she took it she said that that scene took her out of the movie okay because and i hope i'm getting this correct that Basically, it stopped her having fun in the movie of like all the things. And basically, it's like it, she, instead of asking, Oh my God, is Michael Myers going to kill this baby? She's like, Are these motherfuckers in the movie going to kill this baby? Yeah. Like, are they going to jump? Filmmakers the gonna... filmmakers, are they going to jump this fucking shark? Yeah. And like, I can a hundred, because I get like that with different things. Yeah. Um, I a hundred percent can see that for me. It really worked, and Jamie, I'm so sorry if I didn't get your entire point I across. Think what, I think what she's saying though is is kind of in that vein of the morality clause. Yeah. Like she doesn't, she thinks that you know, like if the if they kill the baby, she they have broken the morality yes. clause with the audience. Yes. And I and I agree with that. I agree with your point as well, which is that the 
the it is the single most terrifying moment in the film yeah. uh, because it is like then you're kind of questioning how evil is Michael like yeah. how potentially evil. I mean again the argument here is that he's just killed the baby's mom kind I mean of, this baby's going to grow up if it does without a mother yeah. because randomly a and psychopath find, with a hammer came through and found out and find out one day that when this baby boy or girl was in a crib someone came into their house and randomly slaughtered their mother yeah you know like imagine the 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 kind of dread you will the years of therapy you will need to kind of get over that yeah, fact. Yeah. Um, there's another, the, the the scene that follows is him stalking this woman uh, in a house who's like basically calling, um, you know, she's on the phone talking about like uh, how to get home safely or something like that or, you know, she's not going to go out. I and, thought that was the mother. No, that was a different character. Really? Yeah, there, there was two there's two different characters. Oh. So she kill, kills the mother with the curlers in the hair and then goes to the baby and then he go, she goes to the he, next house. He goes to the next house and, um, and and kills another person with a knife. And, you know, this is where he stabs the knife through the throat. That's a different character. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, to me, was kind of like also slightly on the edge of the morality clause for me because this was just the mother who was, like, staying out. Whereas there was a character outside... Again, this is this is kind of the weird um, semiotics for this, but this is where horror movies play is that six equals the six equals violence. And so there was a character outside walking around dressed up in, you know, what we call now slutty Halloween sure. costume. And I was like, oh, that's a victim ripe in the world of mm-hmm. horror movies. I don't agree with that. I'm just saying that, you know, like horror movies associate six with the ex- acceptability of violence. And instead we go inside a house to see a mother who's kind of dressed in sweats, um, you know, like uh, talking about how to get, you know, you know, she doesn't want to go out tonight and she's about to close the blinds and Michael kind of like yeah. comes up on her and stabs her. Yep. And I was like, oh, the choice to kind of do that might be an interesting rejection of what I thought the morality clause of this film was, but also kind of like, makes me feel uneasy. It's kind of doing what it's Jamie both. said. It's both. What Jamie said, which is that it pulls me out of the film slightly because I'm starting to think about like the filmmaker's choices. We're deconstructing this. This is good. <laughs> the, it, it 100% can... like I think the filmmakers did things like that. Yeah. Showed like super skimpy k- costume and then Michael doesn't go after her. He goes after the regular person in a house. Um, to kind of get to, to hopefully make you feel more scared that this is a just a mindless killing machine. Maybe he didn't kill the baby because he just not because he's like, oh, can't kill a baby, just because he's like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, like Michael Myers is supposed to be scary, I think, because in in the world, and I'm not talking about the zeitgeist of what we're talking about, about sort of like people that die sort of deserve it or sex equals bad or any of that stuff yeah. that we've we've gleaned from horror films it, since. It's only a horror film thing. It's not something we're suggesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but like, I think maybe the filmmakers were trying to sort of be like, no, you need to be on your more of your toes than that now because he's literally just a randomized killing machine. But while I think that's a you know fine narrative way to take it, I can 100% see how if we don't feel like the majority of people that he is killing uh, in a weird, not actual true way, quote, deserve it, then the fun of watching this as weirdly as it's put uh, is broken. Yeah, it's it's not a lot of fun. I I think there is a sort of attempt to kind of reject there's there's another theory as well that I think comes from the first film uh which is the only people who survive Michael Myers are people who see him uh and, and see him and acknowledge him and I I think all the characters in this film that die are characters that don't see him. Uh, um that that's that's a theory that's posited because the the character uh, Oh, not true. The the best friend dies. 
The best friend died. The, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's granddaughter's best friend who seems like a nice guy until the end and he pulls the fucking friend zone right, bullshit right, yeah, and yeah. then he sees him twice and then yeah. dies. Well, I, I guess when I say see him, see him as a killer. Like, see that there's a killer coming for them. Like, you know, like... He saw that. He was running from him. He was screaming and running from but him. But there's a moment where he's like, he just thinks he's just a normal dude and he starts talking to him. I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a loose theory. Okay. But it's a theory that comes from the first movie. Like, Jamie, the two survivors of the film are people who see him and are afraid of him. Sure. I get uh, that from the first movie, but this movie, I don't think, follows that tenet. Little theory. I, I kind of... It's sort of... nice. It sort of plays into it um, a little bit. I, I agree. It's a little loose. Um... Uh, the 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 one thing we haven't acknowledged, though, I think in the in the sort of chronology of this film, is the idea that Laurie Strode has gone all Sarah Connor on us. Let's talk about <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. The best part about this fucking movie. That was a long one. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, she 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 has now gone very Sarah Connor. She's an older woman now. She is trained with guns. She has like a home alone plan to kind of capture Michael Myers that she's been working on for 40 years now, uh, only for this one night. The thing I liked about this film uh, was the there's an image in this film of three women huddled together who are three generations that have been essentially traumatized by Michael Myers. Yes. Uh, and it comes very late in the game, and I think that was a really powerful image and reason for this film to exist, was that we're, the film kind of is talking about how much this one person has affected these this one family throughout the generations yep. and how much they come together to to you know he he doesn't just represent then he's not just a killer he is a point of trauma for this entire family mm -hmm. and this is a family that reconnects and and reconfigures itself in order to overcome the single point of trauma and i think that's a that, that's that's actually a, a beautiful moment yeah I don't think it, the whole film kind of lands that well no. in, in with that in mind. And I think it has a lot to do with the tonality shifts that you mentioned, the sort of uh, injection of comedy in horror scenes. You know, for example, the Bon My peanut, peanut Butter Sandwich. Yeah. Um, but but I think that idea, that singular idea of these three women, this this Laurie Strode idea that she is now this like um, victim of trauma who has rebuilt herself up. I think that's a really really powerful idea, and it's a really interesting. idea. It's very much the Terminator Two idea. Oh, it's so good! It's so good. <laughs> the the thing that bugged me, so first of all, Jamie Lee Curtis, fantastic in this movie. <laughs> I think her her entire performance outshines I think literally anybody else in this movie. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of hers. I'm a huge fan of, of what she did here. Uh, so I want to say that up front before I start getting into problems I think the film has around her. Okay. Um, again, Shahir, I, I agree with you that, 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 that idea of three generations of women who have been, have a point of trauma that's destroyed some of their lives, literally coming back to get them yeah. is, uh, an incredibly powerful, um, narrative structure. I feel like a lot of this movie got changed or lost or or tweaked in the editing room because two things happen. Uh, one, every time in the beginning that Laurie's talking about Michael Myers, I think it happens once or twice when the podcasters come or like whatever. Um, she references like like oh no, not Michael Myers, the boogeyman. Right, and you're like what? 
and you think that sort of is going to kind of go somewhere, but at the end, it's all Michael Myers. Like, she she makes a very strong distinction between Michael Myers and the Boogeyman. Like, Michael Myers isn't the thing that you'd be scared about. You should be scared about the Boogeyman. And they bring up the Boogeyman a couple times. So I was like, where are but that, they? But that's a reference to the first film, right? I don't know. In, in, Tom, in the first film, Tommy, there's a there's a reflection of that scene. Tommy and she's the babysitter in the yep. first scene. They're talking about the boogeyman, and and, and sure. she, she okay. is, Great. you should you know be scared of the boogeyman. It's given more weight than just a throwback line to the original. It mm-hmm. it, it it feels like there's some sort of weird dichotomy to it um, that I didn't quite understand. I didn't I didn't. Um, and oh god, the editing in granted, the editing in this film gets better as it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the first third, the first act of this movie is all over the place. I had I had a hard time connecting with where anybody sort of was. Mm-hmm. Like Michael's getting transferred, and Jamie Lee Curtis is there watching it, and she cries, and then they're at a dinner. We don't see what happens with the bus, and then we don't even know what she does, and then she shows up at the dinner, and then all of a sudden the bus is crashed, and I'm like. And I get for for reasons later. Yeah, for reasons later, but yeah. but like, there's more eloquent ways to do that. So that that speaking of things that throw me out, I was like, this is jumping around a lot of weird places. So, and and I think it got more and more together as to what it would it wanted to say mm-hmm. um, as the movie moved on it was almost like they scatter shot it in the beginning and they slowly like got their their sights in order and like try to get a little more pristine with their storytelling because the second act is michael just raging yeah uh to give you that sort of feeling of like we have to stop this guy uh and then uh the third act is all taking place in jamie lee curtis's trap home alone house yeah now I I don't think I think again the Laurie Strode character here is fascinating and and the way I want to see her I don't want to see her like she was in Halloween H two O as like a dean with like everything's fine and has a son and got to protect her son from Michael and then I think she dies in H two O yeah uh, no she dies in Resurrection I think oh I don't know <laughs> I don't know and uh then sort of I guess we're gonna get into like major major spoilers yeah, here we've spoiled the I whole know. movie yeah <laughs> but like um. She, there, there comes a point where, which I loved, where Michael basically throws her off a roof. Yeah. And it switches perspective for a while of basically, like, he looks away, then looks back, and she's gone. Like, yeah, the very the, way that... The, the very first movie. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so then it's Michael going through, and Michael basically gets tricked. There's, a, there's like, a, 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 I guess, a panic room in the basement. Uh, underneath a, a, a rotating, they really loved showing that rotating island. It made me want an island in my kitchen. <laughs> that rotated, yeah, just so you could put, you know. All... I just didn't understand why you leave the garage door open or right next to it. Shh, <laughs> don't <laughs> you know? worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, so, so Lori has done all this work, planned forty years for Michael to come back, and she's ready. She she's prayed for him. She says to get out so she could kill him. Yeah. She is confident in the fact that she will kill him. Yeah. She's trained her daughter, uh, played by uh, uh, Judy Greer. Judy Greer, who finally uh, <laughs> gets to do something a little bit more than be the wife. Than be the wife, yeah. Uh, in a wonderful turn that I won't even spoil. Sort of here. Uh, that was a good moment. I really like that. Great yeah, moment. I've... Do I think it's a hundred percent earned? Not on anything but Jamie Lee Curtis's performance, because I buy that moment because of the character that Jamie Lee Curtis has played. But isn't it, it's a Judy Greer moment? It, no, no, it, no, it is a Judy Greer moment. Yeah. But the film doesn't. Like, it doesn't feel earned within the film outside of what we know about how Laurie raised the Judy Greer character. So doesn't that mean it's earned? 
I never saw a hint of it, and I think they did it to make it sort of more you of a surprise. Flashbacks of Judy Greer's character as a kid, like going right, but then the she training. like rejects it, and then yeah. she remembers it. It's nice. I, I'm saying I liked it, but right. I, I don't know. There's something that felt disparate about it, but maybe that's just because they set it up to be such a nice twist. Yeah, I I, I think that yeah. kind of is the definition. Anyway, of it being earned, anyway. But... Uh, Michael Myers falls down into this uh, panic room, which we've seen them hide in a million times. They climb up, and then something strange happens. Mm-hmm. Um, they hit a button, and they're like, it's not a cage, it's a trap. And these CG spikes shoot out from the sides of the trap door. Mm-hmm. The only piece of the mechanics of this house that ever seemed weird or fake. Mm-hmm. And then he's down there. And rather than do what Jamie Lee Curtis's character seems like they would do in this moment that they've been training for for 40 years, shoot the bastard till he stops moving. <laughs> uh, instead, there's an elaborate way where she turns on special gas nozzles. Well, if there's anything we've learned from any of the Halloween movies is that shooting Michael Myers doesn't work. She even Judy Greer shoots him in the head, doesn't she? I know, but you can you can. I'm, what I'm saying is, I Jamie Lee Curtis's character to me throughout this entire film is a person that knows all of the tropes that Michael Myers is going to kind of do. So you'd want to be sure he was dead, not leave him in a burning <laughs> basement and be like, "That's taken care of." I think I think it's a yeah that that is a weak point, and I think it's more of a like, well, if this movie doesn't do well, you know, like. We can just say he burnt in the fire, but if it does do well, I know he can probably get out. Somehow. I have a, a dream ending for this movie. Yeah, what's that? And that is that the moment that we talked about, basically, Judy Greer's character has rejected Jamie Lee Curtis's character's entire thing, saying it's ruined her childhood and that she was crazy because she was like trying to kind of training her to be a, like a child warrior all of her all of her childhood. She got away there, restrained, etc. And the reason why Michael Myers gets falls into the pit is because Judy's like holding a gun. And at the at the doorway and and saying, oh my god, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I like she's like like cringing and being very sort of weak sounding. And Michael right on cue is like, what up? And walks in front of it. And she's like, gotcha. And shoots him in the in the head. Yeah. In the head. Yeah. In the head. <laughs> that should have been the end of the movie. Like because it would give catharsis to everyone and their journeys at that point because it would have been the perfect sort of circle of life of that family and it would have been amazing but no they had to have Jimmy Lee Curtis say happy Halloween Michael and kind of half knock him down into the pit and then crawl out and then gas nozzles and a fire I I think I think that moment is the turning point for like the turning point I want it to be the end well because it's powerful as the ending The, the ending isn't powerful this movie's building up this whole thing to like a moment of power. And then that moment happens, and then they keep kicking the can down the road. I, I yeah, it it doesn't kick it down like so far that we've got another act. I think it's just kind of like like how are we gonna cook out this fire, literally. I just want the I if they're gonna do this, let's just end it. They, the movie itself says this isn't a big deal anymore. Stop <laughs> making these movies. like this would be a perfect end. But instead, we're treated to a scene of the the basement burning without Michael there, and then after after the credits, <sighs> oh, is there? I didn't stick around for the after the credits. There's no credit after credit scene. There's just breathing, and I'm right. like, cool. Right. Uh, it doesn't. It it doesn't bother me. I think I think the idea that that you know Jamie Lee Curtis has built this entire or Laurie Strode has built this entire trap firm kind of makes sense to me, and that that she would burn 
does. It does. The trap I, makes sense. The burning and leaving before she's sure he's dead absolutely does not with everything that this movie has built. Yeah, uh, I think that's kind of the sequelitis kind of. It is. It's a hundred percent that you, you, know, you are. Yes. Yeah. You know, like sort of mode that these movies operate in. I think they've even they're even talking about a Halloween sequel at this point. Uh, yeah. Here's the thing. I think the movie is an effective sequel to the first Halloween movie. Yes. But it doesn't quite. It doesn't quite elevate it beyond. No. Uh, it, it doesn't elevate beyond what that first movie was. The first movie is still a bitter movie for all its like lack of budget yeah. and lack of uh, lack of. You know, like this is a ten million dollar movie versus three hundred. Yeah. Let's just talk about how much ten million dollars return investment they got so far. Total worldwide is one hundred and seventy four million. But think about this. Uh, Halloween was the highest grossing independent feature film of all time until the Blair Witch Project. On a $325,000 budget, Shit. they made $70 million. Wow. So, so if you want to compare you Apple's... You just gave me a, I'm going to let you finish moment. Yeah, that yeah. was good. I mean, if you want to compare you know, like where <laughs> your money goes and that sort of thing, that, 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 the original Halloween film is a juggernaut yeah. in terms of what it was able to achieve. And, uh, and the funny thing about the original Halloween movie as well is that uh, it it opened to really bad reviews and it almost petered out, you know, without a trace. You know, like you got to remember, like it came out in a period where there were a lot of movies like that. Yeah. Um, and it got really bad reviews. I think there's even a fun story of like John Carpenter going to USC film school where he went to film school to show the film, and like someone in the audience gets up and goes, "Why did you make this movie? It's terrible." And like you know, this is this is supposed to be his swan song coming back to wow. USC triumphantly. And the movie, like he goes off to do other work. He makes uh, the Elvis TV movie with uh, Kurt Russell for the yep. first time. And, um, you know, he goes off to do other work. And remember, this is pre-internet era where information is traveling so rapidly. But the movie starts picking up steam because of two reviews, one from Roger Ebert and one from The Village Voice. I forget the name of the reviewer's, mm. uh, reviewer there. But those two critics basically saved this movie. And they, they champion it so much, even to the point Roger Ebert uh, names it as one of his top 10 movies of the year. And then suddenly this movie gathers steam. He compares it to Psycho as being one of the great horror films yeah. of our generation. And that's when it starts gathering steam. And then suddenly this little movie, $300,000 that everyone thought had that they just lost their money, goes on to be the highest grossing independent feature of all time only to be broken by the Blair Witch Project. Oh man! You know, like, and that's that that that's an incredible. Because they spent like twelve dollars on that. Yeah, twelve dollars on that movie. Um, <laughs> it's an incredible, <laughs> incredible achievement. And you know, I think Halloween ranks as uh, I was reading a list this morning on the Forbes list of highest ranking horror franchises. Halloween is number nine. Uh, number, okay. Uh, it's beaten out by Friday the Thirteenth. It's beaten out by Freddy, and I think it's just a case of volume. Those yeah. Movies. There's just more movies. Yeah. Uh, the highest grossing horror franchise. What What would you think? The oh, I have no idea. Aliens. Okay. Which I I was surprised by. I would have thought it would be something like Saw or uh, maybe. Yeah. Or, you know. I, I, it's funny. It, aliens in Alien is a horror series. I just I never think about it that way. And but it, it's weird because the the movies are so much more expensive. Yeah. So I would have thought In something space. like I would have thought like paranormal activity or sure. something like that, where the movies are so cheap and found make, footage. And they make so much money, it would have been better. Again, look, uh, coming back to my final thoughts here, I think this movie is an effective sequel. I think it captures the essence of what John Carpenter did. I don't think it elevates it beyond 
that. I think it's just kind of a, it's 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 weird because there are nine movies in between this, and this is basically saying ignore those nine movies and imagine this one came out right after the first one, uh, or you know, forty years after the first one. Yeah. Um, and I think it's effective in that term. I think there are tonal problems, as you mentioned. I don't need to see more Michael Myers. Nope. I don't need to see another sequel to this. I think this was uh, somewhat effective, but 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 just. But that's about it. Just effective, not exceptional. Yeah. Um, no. And I and I think David Gordon Green equips himself well and still proves to be a multifaceted talent that I'm always excited by. Um, I wish I'd seen. Uh, I haven't seen Stronger or uh, our. Um, oh, what is it called? Our voice is the Sandra Bullock film about oh, the yeah, elections. Yeah. I haven't seen. I don't it remember. Yet. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, I just think he's an exciting talent uh, that is very well established at this point. Um, yeah, I, I don't need to see more of these. I overall had fun watching this movie. I think it betrays itself a little bit here and there. I think it's marketing again. I, you know, as I always sort of bring up, kind of betrays itself because it was kind of marketed as the quintessential ending sort of thing. And I'm, I need to stop. Be like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me tw- a million yeah. times, shame on me. I was gonna say at this because, point, like, shouldn't you stop watching the trail? Exactly. Well, no, but not even that. Like, I, I <laughs> go back. I was talking to, uh, to Jamie about this. I was like, I shouldn't care this hard about this because literally, a film called Resident Evil: The Final Chapter had an after credit scene that, like, basically. <laughs> said there'd be more movies and I was just like fuck it's in the title yeah. and they don't care so the fact that this feels like with the end was a little bit uh, tonally different than what I think I was sold versus even what the movie was selling me the entire time uh, I still had uh, a very good time um I, I do want to end. Uh, I, 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 me and Jamie did get into such huge discussions about this movie. She said something that was abs- I, I think it kind of encompasses my feelings about the film as well she said this movie is basically like a haunted hayride you you go on a haunted hayride. They're supposed to be fun, and then at the end you get a glass of warm apple cider, right? Right. And she said, "Jamie Lee Curtis just gave me my glass of warm apple cider." Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, like that's what it is." So I think <laughs> we as we as film discussing type people, uh, I hate using the word. We're, sort we're of the worst kind of critic. podcasters. Yeah, yeah. We're, no, no, <laughs> no. I think bullshit uh, super full of themselves. You feel the mask, don't you, Michael? You feel the mask. You feel its presence. And that cut, that cut to the title off of that that. was terrible. I liked that I thought it was great. Um, I like that he didn't like turn around and jump scare them. It no, just... no, no. But like, th- I'm saying the time, like from a, a moment of a timing perspective, yeah. I was like, what? No, it it I... wasn't effective. It was just where you didn't expect it to be. And it was that's, like, that's what I liked about it. Cool. Um, anyway, I think it's a fun enough movie to go see. I think Jamie Lee Curtis's performance is worth the price of admission. And I think if you have any uh, ties to this series, uh, obviously you've already seen it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I dug it. I think, uh, it's a solid, it's a solid movie to be discussing on Halloween. Ah, Halloween. This is being the only podcast about the film Halloween, by the way. See, now I never did trick or treating. So I'm kind of asking the question, why do people go as not scary characters? I mean, why not? I mean, because so I'm just asking. Oh no! Uh, I think it's this. Is my honest opinion. I think people 
uh, A, some people aren't good at being scary. Okay. B, I think you run out of stuff. Uh, it's you, you can only be so many like scary things on a budget. <laughs> uh, the, the I think it's it, I think Halloween. What I've really liked about the evolution of it, maybe it's just from growing up, uh, you know, doing it as a child and now doing it as an adult. You, uh, I feel like you get more points as an adult for being clever mm-hmm. than you do being scary. Right. Uh, whatever social media points. I don't know, but yeah. like. Uh, or, or if you can, I think people that are a little bit more of the um, dramatic persuasion. I, I put myself into that category. Like, even though the costume, say, of Bob's Burgers of Bob, is easy. Yeah. Uh, I know I can pull it off effectively, and it's a fun character to play at a party. Right. Like I've gone as the silencer for my WDI stuff. Check out www.wdi.pw if you want to see some really so weird shit. So many W's shit. there. So many W's. Um, I went as this murderous mime character that I had, uh, and it was fun. But you can't really interact with people at a party if you're staying in character. And if you don't stay in character, then your costume's kind of shit. So it's like, <laughs> there's a whole wow, thing. Wow, there's so many rules to this. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Halloween, Shahir. Yeah. What, what, if you could be anything for no, Halloween. I, I came to one of your Halloween parties you years, did. years ago. You and came, did. And I came, at, me and my wife came as uh, characters from Droogs from Clockwork R. Yeah, and Shivali was the shit. <laughs> she was my favorite guest at that party. She embraced the ridiculousness that we uh, inherently did back in my huge house party days. Right. And she just rolled. I, there was one point, and I love this part. I, I was talking to someone upstairs, and she comes up and grabs my arm and goes, Matt. And I was like, what? I thought like someone got hurt or, or something. And she goes, ice luge right now. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I went down, and she poured liquor down on ice that's luge. That's the power of, she was staying in character. She was a droog. <laughs> Although, droogs are not fun characters. No. The, the Clockwork no. Origin characters are not fun in any way. Well, Shahir, <laughs> when you are not asking me the rules and regulations of this wonderful tradition of trick-or-treating, which you are about to go on today. I'm where not can, dressing up, by the way. <laughs> how fun. Where can folks find you? You can find me uh, in un- your street clothes. undressed in my street clothes um, uh, at my website Side www. There's three more W's for you. Shahirdaud.com. That's S H A H I R D A U D. dot com. Matt, when you are not presenting this the, this episode by the letter W, where can people find you? <laughs> I was trying to say everything I was going to say with W's in front of it. That's nearly impossible. You can find me at m a t t h e w k l dot com for my life and works. There's three W's and a dot before that. Yeah. Uh, also, Skeletor, the number four, Pierre on Instagram, or Emperor MSK at www.twitter.com slash Emperor MSK. Also, you can find my work at Extra Credits. We just released our Halloween Games You Might Not Have Tried episode today. It's super spooky. Me and the gang animated Explore a Haunted House. What's the scariest game I should play uh, on my laptop? I don't want to tell you on your laptop. I'm going to tell you on your phone. There's a game called Simulacra. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's $5. It's, it's, it's very much worth $5. It's a found phone game. It turns your phone into basically a phone in a different operating system that's supposed to be a phone you found of this woman. Yeah. And you have to sort of piece together what happened to her or where she is, and it gets fucking weird. Okay. Uh, that sounds great. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's it's pretty a good neat. title too. I yeah. love anyone that references Joan Baudrillard. Uh, also, if you're on the Switch or anything, actually, uh, one game I do want to give a shout out to. It's not tech, it's not scary in the traditional sense. Is Night 
in the Woods. Okay. Uh, it's a fantastic game. I know some, that game. Yeah. Some of the best writing in a game I've ever seen. It's not like super action oriented. So if you're looking for that, don't don't go there. But it's so good. It's so good. Don't forget to send us your Halloween costumes if you have them, and uh, and your favorite. I guess what's the question this week? Your favorite. You know what? What? What is the scariest moment you've ever had in a movie? Yeah. What is the scariest moment you've Tell ever had? Tell us. Uh, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. I want to know what your favorite, oh no, what your scared, scariest cat moment is in the movies. Yes. And uh, next next week, are we are we recording from Spain something? I think we're recording from Spain. I, I have a movie we can do. I don't know if we're going to get to do it. We, our schedule is so busy right I now. Know. Um, that I don't. We're gonna try. We're gonna try to record. We're gonna be coming to you from Espanol, but uh, in Espanol. If we don't, hola. If we don't, we'll be recording something very quickly the following <laughs> yeah. So and, and it, then apologizing. There'll still be an episode. It just might not be the one we promised. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Thank you for your lovely emails and tweets and things. And we will see you uh, next time in Espanol. <laughs> Is that an Espanol laugh? See. Hola. <laughs> That's the only word I know. Okay. Bye.